Service Media and PCM-TV programming is supported by Revolutionary Clinics in Massachusetts, the number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first. And by Salient Systems for Video Surveillance. You've got regulations, Salient has solutions for your security needs. And by Accounting Buds, your number one accounting solution for the cannabis industry. And by TCP's Style Lighting Grow Kit, all you need to grow. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a Friday afternoon live edition of Green Rush Live, our regularly scheduled business of cannabis talk show that we produce at Pro Cannabis Media. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. I'll be in the host chair today for a pretty action-packed program. Uh, a lot of big stories have happened in the last week. I think everybody in the cannabis world knows that this was the week of 420, the official date of celebration for the all things cannabis. And you probably also saw another news story about some bad behavior by a certain former heavyweight champion named Mike Tyson, who is also a member of the cannabis industry now. That, those are the two stories that really didn't necessarily make it into the uh, news, 420 did, but not necessarily Mr. Tyson, and the fact that New Hampshire now uh, had a little bump in the road on the way to the state-controlled adult-use stores that they house wanted to move forward. Uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on what's going on in New Hampshire as far as their adult-use launch goes. We do know that New Jersey opened up its adult-use market this past week, and we'll be joined by a bunch of New Jersey people, people that have been on our show in the past, all from the Garden State. Uh, that will be coming up between 4.30 and 5.30. And then at 5.30, I've got a one-on-one -on -one interview with Marie St. Fleur. She's the new CEO of the NACB, the National Association of Cannabis Businesses, not to be confused with the National <laughs> the, the NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association, and our friend Michael Correa, the, the, the uh, head of government relations for NCIA and that most famous lobbyist that we know uh, down there in D.C. Michael, thank you so much for joining us again here on Green Rush Live. Hey, it's great to be here. There's so many uh, cannabis uh, groups out there. It's hard to keep up with all the acronyms. It's and, better and than it was 10 years ago, right? That's that's right. We have come. The, the industry has come a long way, and and it's still got a long way to go. But mm -hmm. you know what? At least it's going in the right direction. I'm sure you're very enthused of the fact that another East Coast state, oh, yeah. New Jersey, is now open for adult use business. So one, it's it's one. Every state, every new state that comes online, I'm really happy with because indirectly, it makes its way back to D.C. But even more so, the fact that it's New Jersey, the home of Senator Cory Booker, who is, you know, a, a cannabis reformer who wants to do the right thing, but he's not totally there on something like safe banking. And so just having New Jersey up and running and operating, um, I'll be uh, hopefully a lot of people in the industry will start calling their uh, senator and tell them to get safe over the finish line. But it's just uh, it's really good. I need to check up on the news and see how the first few days have gone. Yeah, I actually reached out to some of our uh, sources in New Jersey to see if they had a report on first day sales, um, but we haven't heard anything just yet. Um, you know, it does take a while. I think that's one of the things about Massachusetts. At least I can now look back at the last three and a half years to see the various stages of growth. You know, there's the ballot initiative or the legislative initiative, and then there's some 
downtime in between, we'll call it gray area, where gifting is happening uh, at that point, you know, people that have voted it in and have now seen it move forward, they think, okay, we can now gift it. Uh, and then eventually, we've got the regulations, and then the first dispensaries open, and then uh, more and more social equity licenses get um, sent out and, and shared. And now, um, it, it, we're almost at the toddler stage in Massachusetts. I don't think we're past uh, toddler yet, but uh, at least we are at the toddler stage. Is that inaccurate? Is that pretty much how it all goes? It's not gonna happen overnight, right, Michael? So one, and you bring up uh, Massachusetts, it seems like it, it was a generation ago when Massachusetts passed. And I remember being up in Massachusetts in like 16 or 17, mm -hmm. thinking, oh, this is just gonna happen around the corner. And you know, a lot of times when you have legalization at the state level ballot initiatives, it, usually takes about on average for two years, about two years to sort of get it up and running. Um, but it also helps or hurts in Massachusetts case when you have a governor or an executive that isn't really trying to make it work or appointing the right people or slow playing the process or just slowing it down. You know, I think that's what you had in Massachusetts versus say New Jersey where you've had a governor who's always been supportive of the concept and listen, I've been in politics 25 plus years. It makes a difference whether you have an executive who's appointing the right people or who's saying, I want to get this done versus, you know, I don't care about this issue, slow it up in any way possible. And you know how bureaucracies can slow up the process. So I'm just glad, you know, I'm the, the governor of New Jersey has been supportive of this for years and it just it makes my life easier and it just makes cannabis reform easier. It's already happening. Cannabis sales every state has been happening for 50 years it's whether these states are going to start benefiting from it and start realizing some of the tax revenue coming in and so it would be in all of their best interest to get a uh, functioning uh cannabis market in their states because we know uh the illicit market paying zero in taxes so any tax on anything legal is going to be a benefit for a state and you have to develop policies that's allowing the illicit market to slowly disappear and the and the legal market to sort of grow and, and, and have a tax base. And they should be doing whatever they can to make sure this runs smoothly. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that uh, you didn't mention his name, Governor Charlie Baker here in Massachusetts. He made it very clear that he wanted to uh, like crawl before you walk, before you yeah. run, yeah. Uh, was the, I'm pretty sure, the almost accurate quote that he had when the cannabis industry started. He definitely wanted to make it go very so slower, slower yeah. rollout. And a lot of other states now, Arizona, I think, being uh, perhaps the one that went immediately from anybody with a medical license can get have an adult use recreational license. Yeah, um, do they have a, you know, a functioning working medical program? Do they have an infrastructure in place that allows something to move to the next level or are they reinventing the wheel? There's just a lot of logistical challenges that people don't think. I mean, they just go, oh, we, we, the voters legalize this, get this up and running. Well, we're creating entire new government agencies right. and who's gonna regulate it? Who's gonna tax it? Who's gonna oversee it? These are a lot of issues that some, sometimes take time you know, it's one year, two years, but it shouldn't be three, four, five, six years. A lot of things I'm hearing now from the industry, Michael, and I want to see if you're hearing a lot of the same things specifically coming out of California, uh, which is a story for another day for sure. But that being said, it seems like the legal market that was thought would be knocking out the legacy market 
actually has enhanced the legacy market because they can undercut the pricing of the goods. They can't, they don't test the goods. You don't exactly have um, as much comfort as I have or someone who can walk into a dispensary, whether with a medical card or an adult use licensed state. But it does seem that the lesson is we better do a better job of the legalization and the regulation at the state level because it is enhancing the legacy market. Are you hearing similar things? Well, one, I, I'm a California native, and so I want California to succeed. Yeah. Um, California, to me, you know, is, is everything cannabis. I think it was sort of the beginning of the cannabis movement. Mm -hmm. a, a couple of things that make California different, you know, for the most part, it had almost this gray market, legal, not legal you know, medical program for 20 years, right. 20 plus years. And I think you had people in the industry, legacy operators who that was their, that was their business plan. That was how they functioned. That was how they made money. Now you created an entire new taxation, entire new regulatory system, entire, entire new cost structure and testing. And I think a lot of people, that was a burden. It was a high, a very high burden. Uh, a lot of these are small businesses that's a cost on their bottom line of being able to function or not. And then and another thing is you had so much of the California market was being exported out, was being sent around the rest of the country. And until you have total legalization of 50 states and you have price discrepancies between one state or another, you're always going to have movement of a product. I. I remember, you know, I'm in DC. I remember when taxes were very low on cigarettes in Virginia, but very high uh, in New York. You were having illicit cigarettes going up to New York just because the tax structure. So to think that you're not going to have cannabis going out of the state because it's two or three times more expensive to, on some East Coast state and the quality in California is so good, that's going to naturally happen. But at the same time, uh, I, I do think you have a lot of people in California who want to do what do what's right for the industry, and you are start, starting to see the legislature revisit some of their tax structures and regulatory structures. I just I think it's a case of how not to do it. Um, it the cost, the burdensome cost, the burdensome regulations are such to where a lot of operators are saying, you know what, I can function in this illicit market, and that's I don't think that's what anyone wants. I think people want um the system to where it's functioning you as a small business can function in that make some money uh have a product and then as a consumer know what's in your product know what's tested um and it's a it's a perfect case in point of maybe lessons learned because i don't want i don't want that being you know followed by 50 other states california should be the leaders on everything cannabis and the fact that there's all these hiccups along the way is an issue but there, i think there's a couple different market influences are going on and you're seeing a glut in Oregon and others where you're seeing, you know, the illicit market, you're seeing diversion coming out. And it's just one of these things that's just going to happen in a free market economy if there's a price difference. Right. Oh, I get that. Uh, and after all, California is a completely different planet anyway, Michael, now that I know that you're from there. Yeah. <laughs> just, just the size of the market. Right. And, and, and we all know, I mean, uh, you look to the Central Valley of California, that's sort of the the breadbasket of agriculture in America. And there's a reason why, you know, we grow oranges in Florida and not in Minnesota. And that's one of the things that's going to happen eventually with cannabis legalization of getting into that price equilibrium and 
and where are the best places to grow cannabis at the most competitive prices. And that's going to be a policy issue that's going to have to be worked out. It's going to take some time, but that's something we all have to deal with just the realities of that. Because, I mean, if we lived in, we lived in an environment where we had legalization in 50 states, but 50 different taxes and 50 different models and 50 different prices, you would probably still have some diversion. You'd probably still have an illicit market because they would be trying to reset price equilibrium. And then there is, you know, um, NCIA's chief economist, Bo Whitney of Whitney Economics has done a lot of studies on this. And he's talked about the price uh, elasticity, you know, what people are willing to go to the illicit market, go to the legal market, what's that price premium. And there is sort of like a price point where we want, we will pay more for a, a legal market, but not so much more where once there's, once you pass that threshold, people are comfortable going to the illicit market. And we, as policy people, we need to be aware of that and, and get that to a point where people want to participate in this legal market. All right. Now, here's the big question I wanted to ask you right off the top. And I, I, I just like talking with you about all this. Shoot stuff. Away. What happened in the Senate? You know, first we hear it's going to be spring, low hanging fruit, safe uh -huh. banking. It passes more act passes, safe banking passes. Nancy Mace has a bill in the House that's yeah. getting some action now. What happened in the Senate? And now we have to wait till August. And do we believe it's going to happen in August or not? So one, if you, you know, they, they first talked about the, they first mentioned this bill in February of 2021. They dropped a discussion draft in July. They asked for questions. We gave 40 pages of questions and responses in September. Um, I think they had, you know, we Senate staffers have a workload just like it with everyone else. And they were trying to work on build back better. And they were trying to work on, um, you know, uh, government financing and other things that Congress has to do. And I think they are mentally looking at their calendar and thought, okay, in the fall, we're going to be working on these things. And then in December, we're going to pivot to cannabis and we'll get around to our cannabis bill. We'll introduce it in the spring. We'll have some hearings and go from there. And I think from a scheduling standpoint, they got behind. Um, things got delayed with Build Back Better and other stuff that delayed them. As a former Hill staffer, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're working and they're working hard. And I really do think Chuck Schumer and Ron Wyden and others want to solve this problem. But it is a little weird when they say for four months, April, 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 and then in April they come back and they say, okay, maybe July or August. And they say they're, you know, talking with the administration they're talking with regulators, trying to work out some policy language, what have you. Okay, that's fine and dandy, but that's the bill has been out there for almost a year. Like they've had a year to ask these questions and go through these comments. So to me and a lot of people like me who are lobbyists, we sort of roll our eyes and shrug our shoulders like, okay, they delayed it yet again. And let's do the math. Okay, you drop it in July, August is recessed, they're not around. You have September, October, November, then you have a new election and then a new Congress. So in reality, you've gone through 75% of this Congress and then you drop your bill. It's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us um, if you are trying to solve the problem. But when you talk to these offices, they want to do hearings on these bills. They want to get this bill out and have a discussion. So I'm going to take them at their word and just assume that they're getting bogged down with stuff versus there's some nefarious plan or some agenda going on um, out there. Uh, but I was a little, I was a little surprised. It wasn't 
you know, April or May, it's like, let's go July or August. So that in itself means they have a lot more work to do on this than they had originally said. And they've been telling people that if they were to drop a bill, it wouldn't have a lot of changes to what the discussion draft was. So to me, is it is it going to be drastic change? All right, that's going to take some time. If it's not a lot of change, then why did you spend 12 months working on something that didn't get changed that often? Why didn't you just why didn't you just introduce a bill? Why didn't they just introduce the bill last spring and say it's a work in progress and then hold hearings on that bill and then go from there? I worked I worked in, on Capitol Hill for 15 years. There is no perfect legislation. It's you drop something, you introduce it, you amend it, you go through the process. You look at um, the Safe Banking Act that was first introduced in 2013. And it's had multiple iterations and multiple changes and amended language. So to think that a bill has to be perfect when it's introduced, it doesn't. So it is a little weird on their optics and strategy because this Congress is almost going to be over. We're almost halfway through the second year. And, I, and again, I, I just don't think it's a priority. And I think that's what frustrates the industry more than anything else is the the Senate, specifically the Senate. And we do know that they're is a divide in the political arena down there. The Senate in particular just doesn't want to deal with it. And they know if they just keep delaying and delaying and delaying, they'll have the other, uh, the midterm election coming up in November and they won't even have to deal with it if they don't make it to the next term or B, they do, then at least they'll have another year to start cranking it up again. Um, it is, I know there are people in this industry that are extremely so frustrated. With what's what's frustrating me as a person and what frustrates me as an industry lobbyist, um, they took over, the Democrats took control in January of 2021, and there was a lot of excitement. I mean, look at cannabis stocks. They're at their all-time high in sort of January and February. They said a lot of good things, the politicians in D.C. Here we are 15 months later, and what do we have to show for it? So the house continually passes safe it dies in the senate and just recently the more act passed the house again what two weeks ago uh with a very slim majority but that's it and you know chuck schumer has said a lot of stuff publicly now it's time like you know i've been in dc long enough there's always an election and there's an election in this november Things, if things don't go well for Democrats, they're in the minority, then you have no power and authority. So if, you know, if, if Chuck Schumer really wanted to solve this issue, drop the bill, have some hearings, talk about it, right. and let's have a discussion and let's start getting some co-sponsors and let's see where the reality is with the support. And then let's pivot to something that's just teed up and ready to go like the Safe Banking Act. So it frustrates me that talk, 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 like, let's start getting something done. And the fact that my number one priority is getting the Safe Banking Act over the finish line and the fact that they're holding it up for political reasons or or whatever reasons is just very frustrating because I did a um, I spoke on like a stakeholder roundtable discussion with the Washington State Liquor Cannabis Board. It was sort of their public meeting. Um, and they said they were uh, because of just the rash of crime that was going on in Seattle and other areas in Washington state, there were 80 at the time I did this a couple of weeks ago, 80 um, robberies and we are barely in April. They're almost averaging a robbery a day. Like how many people have to get shot or killed for Congress? I don't want to I don't want to, you know, uh, go over the top and say people have blood on their hands, but people are dying because of this. 
Um, and it's it's for no reason outside of political reasons. This bill is ready to go and go. Um, let's bring it up for a vote. Let's add it to the America Competes Act. Let's pass it. And then let's move on to cannabis reform, the Schumer bill, the Moore Act. Let's start working from legalization and go from there. That's the frustrating thing for me. Yeah, no, I can I can see it and I can hear it in your voice, too. Um, you mentioned Senator Booker. And at that initial press conference in July of last year, I remember his comments about social uh, expungement was really social justice is really what what he champions and he doesn't want to be focused on the safe banking act and yet in a lot of ways um it's a tougher sell i think anyway is it a tougher sell on the social justice side or the safe banking side so one of the issues um let's just be honest if you go to the if the republicans are in the majority do you really think Republicans care about social justice? Like, no, that's the last thing that they're going to care about. So the, the political reality is you have the majority now. You need to do something when you're in the majority and be active to try to get something over the finish line. So um, uh, Dave Joyce of Ohio, Congressman and uh, uh, AOC from New York, they have their Hope Act that talks about expungement. OK, there's your expungement bill. You know, let's let's do something. Let's get some co-sponsors. Let's talk about that. Let's try to move that. Let's have some language on safe. Let's do something else. But here's the bigger issue. Cory Booker is talking about social justice, and it's it's very important, and we're supportive of this. But a lot of the arrest, a lot of the issues are going on. These are state level issues and state level arrests. And so the federal government, if they legalize cannabis, they're not going to go back and go, hey, New York, you arrested a million people over the past 50 years for cannabis, expunge their records. Like that's up to New York to do it and New Jersey and California and all these states. So, you know, if you were to have expungement at the federal level, it's at a small percentage of the expungement needed at all the state level where all the arrests are. So. There, you just need to have an honest discussion about this. We're supportive. We want to accomplish the same thing. In the end, strategically, we go about it differently. And I just respectfully disagree with Senator Booker on his strategy. Um, I my my worldview is the votes. Do you have votes to get something done? Let's push for this because we know in politics, maybe tomorrow never comes. Maybe you're never going to get the votes there but you do have something, let's get something. And if we pass safe, it will lower the cost and lower the cost associated with lending. We'll make it easier for small businesses, minority businesses to get access to capital, which will help minority businesses. And you know, one of the things about uh, minority businesses, it's about access to capital. It's about funding. It's being able to grow your business and actually have a business versus just having a concept or an idea or a business plan and you give it away to venture capitalists. So I just I wish a lot of the especially Senate offices would be a little more realistic on some of their approaches, and not just look at this politically like a political football they want to campaign on. And that's what worries me about it. One one line, I got one more question for you about decriminalization. Yeah. If they deschedule cannabis off the schedule one controlled substances act if that's all that happens doesn't that open up the banks um yeah i mean if if the problem with the banking issue is it's a schedule one drug and right. so with the controlled substances act so right. if you remove that provision you remove 
uh, DOJ's uh, ability to look at money laundering and a lot of the uh, other aspects around banking. So it doesn't apply. So it would be like cigarettes or something else. It wouldn't have that issue because because of its scheduling. So it would have to be descheduled or even rescheduled to something else. But that's the biggest issue of why DOJ could always play around with something like this. Does the DOJ need to be uh, told what to do or yeah. are they a separate entity and can make that decision uh, themselves? I mean, Steve D'Angelo tried to explain to me that this was an administrative thing so more than you, anything else. You mean, Is that you accurate? Like uh, descheduling cannabis? Yeah. So if for all the people who are listening, uh, the smartest guy, I think, in D.C. is John Hudak at the Brookings Institution. He's written a ton on this. If you go to their website and check it out, he wrote a great piece that there's two paths to uh, descheduling cannabis. One is Congress, where Congress does it and they reschedule or changes the scheduling. The other is a process that um, I think it's the attorney general or even the president has to make a recommendation to start the process. And then it's left to FDA, DOJ and others to work through the system and make recommendations on rescheduling. But we know that DOJ, DEA, FDA, they're not supportive of any of this. So they're not gonna internally do this and start the process. So it's gonna be up to Congress to do it. That's just the reality. I would love it if all of our government agencies were um, staffed with evolved people on this issue and they wanted to have discussions, but look at it right now. You have a White House and an administration that's not signaling wonderful things around cannabis. I don't think they're saying great things and just, what was it yesterday or the day before they said something about research? What is this, 2010? Like, come on, it's a little, it's a little outdated with some of the stuff they could be doing. The Biden administration could be very bold and administratively, they could be doing a lot just behind the scenes administratively to make it easier. And then there's a legislative fixes that's just going to be up to Congress to do. So it's a it's a complex issue. It isn't something simple as one person just has to snap their fingers and legalize it. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I get you. Hey, Michael Correa, always a pleasure uh, talking with you. Uh, although the fact that this is really all about politics and yeah. politicians saying one thing to get elected and then not acting on it when they get into that office has been going on for generations. And that's what frustrates me as a citizen and as someone who does care about this industry more than anything else, because I just don't think the priorities are in the right place. And I really think, again, it goes down to effort. It goes yeah. down to doing the research, looking at the science, looking at the research, and then making a decision based on what your constituents want. Yeah. So I, I, it just, it just, that word frustration is a regular thing, I'm guessing, in D.C. So we're, I mean, um, we're used to politicians being windbags and, and talking a lot, but it is very frustrating. You know, no one's expecting Senator Mitch McConnell to support cannabis legalization. Like, there is no expectation. But Chuck Schumer and Cory Booker and Ron Wyden, they talked about this issue. They said, hey, give us the majority. We're going to work on this. Well, they have the majority. And what are they doing? That's what frustrates people, I think, is the fact that, okay, why aren't you doing anything about it when you have this power? Not that they could magically get 60 votes and get this done, but you could be introducing a bill, you could be holding a hearing, and Chuck Schumer schedules votes. And so there's a lot he could be doing, and that's a frustrating thing because 
the obstruction is coming from our own uh, supporters. It's not coming from prohibitionists. And that's the frustrating part. Gotcha. Michael Correa from the NCIA. Always a pleasure chit-chatting with you. I look forward to talking with you perhaps next month. Let's just keep that ball rolling and just know that there are people out there who are rooting for your success too. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Take care. All right, you bet. There goes Michael Correa. We're going to take our break. It's a little bit after 420, but after all, it was the week of 420. I'm guessing at this point, everybody's a little tired of it. I know I am. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and talk about New Jersey after this. Don't go away. Hi, my name's Tai Chang. I'm the president and founder of Aloha Green Apothecary in Hawaii. We're a vertically integrated medical cannabis company with three dispensaries, uh, one extraction lab, and one cultivation center near the North Shore of Oahu. We have over 150 employees now, and we've been working with Adaptive HR to meet our, meet our human resource needs. We're super excited to work with them as we expand, and we've grown uh, at least two, three times over the last two years. So we look forward to a good relationship with Adaptive, and uh, come visit us in Hawaii anytime. Aloha. Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Hey, you want to grow your own plants? Check out Style Lighting's Grow Kit. It has everything you need to become an expert home grower and bring the power of the sun indoors. Style Lighting uses TCP's high-powered commercial LEDs that deliver twice the output in the market. The Grow Kit has a grow bag, a timer, chains to hang the light, and of course the best in the business lighting system by TCP. Check out stylelighting.shop for more information. Meet Caduceus Science, the alternative wellness company. You know CBD, but how about CBG, CBN? That's right, Caduceus Science produces a range of full-spectrum products, all lab-tested in small batches to maintain the highest quality of products. CaduceusScience.com 
Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabisMedia. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.